This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do. I was first introduced to Audrey Menifee by old friends Leon Nichols and Calvin Davis from the Project to Preserve African American Turf History. Audrey has done several pieces for PPAATH, supporting their mission to preserve the legacy of some of the great pioneers of our sport. Names like Isaac Murphy, Jimmy Wingfield, and other African Americans who were true trailblazers. As someone who has trouble drawing a recognizable stick figure, I am always in awe of those who can capture via the artistic process a personality, a presence, or a mood via the application of their hand to the chosen media. It's indicative of a sensibility, a way of looking at life, that I hope you will find captured in this podcast. One of the things that really interested me about our discussion was that ultimately Audrey has done so much to preserve our history at the same time she was learning our history. She's obviously a quick learner. I learned a lot in this discussion too. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Audrey, you and I first met through the good offices of Leon Nichols and Calvin Davis at the Project to Preserve African American Turf History, um, and the work that you did for them regarding uh, black jockeys, triple crown jockeys. You've done a lot of work around jockeys and horse racing of historical interest that is is really fascinating. But uh, just to kind of kick things off, I'm always fascinated by how people came to the profession's that they are in, right? Uh, for instance, I was a political science major in college, and now I am a software salesperson and a podcast host. So, how do those <laughs> things? How do those things happen, right? <laughs> Very unusual. Yeah, I wonder that when, when, you, whenever you go to a doctor that specializes something, what would make you want to study bones? What would make you <laughs> want to look at somebody's ears? You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. That's yeah, why those... I always ask them. The nether regions, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about you. <laughs> and how did you come to be an, yeah. <laughs> an, an artist? Well, I come from a long line of artists. My mm-hmm. uh, great grandfather was a professional photographer, um, and he took uh, photos uh, during the Wild West shows. Oh my! And they called him Wild Bill Allen. And my my great grandmother was also an artist. And I got all their history, their, um, my niece got me one of those DNA histories. And it okay. did come up, that's what they were. My grandmother used to embellish everything so tremendously. <laughs> um, she's very theatrical. I love her. But she was very, and I never really believed the word she said. But then I got, um, in my, got my 50s and I was looking through a photo album. I was all by myself. Wow! She was right. She, she was, was telling <laughs> me the truth. You know? She was telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it was, um, and then, so they came over in a covered wagon, and my uh, great-grandmother, uh, I guess, really um, pushed her profession, and she had five kids, and and of all those kids, they were all, had very interesting paths. Two of them were, played in the uh, San Francisco uh, Symphony, 
And um, one was had stories written about her because she lived up in Alaska and did projects. And her daughter wrote a book on her that's in the Congress Library. Oh and it just there was just a long line of artists that went through. And um, both of my parents are professional photographers, and uh, my sister and my dad, my sister got music. I got absolutely no music. <laughs> when I say no, I mean none. <laughs> I just got the You art still have part. more than I do, Archie, and but the, the, don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and now my granddaughter, um, both. Uh, draw and paint, and one of them was selected. She's about 10, 11. She got selected, the only one out of her school, to get her uh, painting hung in the High Museum oh my and, gosh. in Atlanta. Yeah. And it was, that was phenomenal. So, yeah, it's so it's always kind of a given. Yeah, you're, so you really go back to I, I don't want to call it the I don't want to offend any of any of our politically correct listeners by saying it's the founding of the West, but your your line really goes back to the expansion of the West. Let's say anyway, with the covered wagon and settling in San Francisco in time for the earthquake. I think you mentioned at one point to me earlier, right? I mean, uh, um, yeah, 1906. Apparently, that they were in a, uh, that that earthquake. Mm-hmm. And then after that, because I guess her house collapsed, she started selling her paintings. But she was selling them for like a hundred dollars a piece. I've seen at my aunt's house one of her paintings, and yeah. it was—it's very beautiful. It, it has a very California uh, impressionist style, mm-hmm. and also had an uncle that um, was a pretty well-renowned great uncle, and uh, he um, or uncle, and uh, he was also um, pretty well-renowned too, and he was a California impressionist artist. Okay. But I didn't go okay. down that that field. I kind of how I really got started is when I I did want to go to college mm-hmm. because it was sixty seven. It was a hippie generation <laughs> and all that, and it was psychedelic psychedelic and pop art. And, and I really kind of liked the old master's way of painting. And um, so I decided that I kind of want to just take private lessons and go okay. in that direction. And so that's how I got started, and then. I started doing, I joined an art guild in San Diego and did a lot of art shows. And I found that women would only part with so, this is back in the 70s, women would only part with so much money. But men got whatever <laughs> that's, they that's wanted. That's still the case, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so I kind of changed my direction. I started kind of painting stronger. And okay. I was doing a lot of wildlife because, um, and horses, because that's what, um, guys like wildlife and horses so uh that's interesting to me that uh, first of all you you were really graduated in the teeth of i guess what i would call the the peter max era you know you kind of referred to the pop art and the psychedelic and yet you had enough sense of self that you were really much more interested in the old master styles yeah because i know a lot of that is what they were painting that they were having their um assistants paint and it wasn't all like their art it was it was just totally commercial mm-hmm. and i was given the gift of so much talent that to me wasn't really stretching my talent and so nobody ever said i couldn't do anything mm-hmm. in my family nobody ever said that you know in fact when i left home my dad said it's not like losing a dog or it's like gaining the kitchen table because i would never <laughs> let anybody eat off the kitchen table because i was always painting always you know? pain. <laughs> and, um, that's funny <laughs> Yep. So, anyway, was so to me that wasn't um, it wasn't taxing enough for me. So I wanted to learn how to paint portraits, and I wanted to learn how to paint wildlife, 
And so I would, I always tell people, they ask me, you know, how, how do you go about picking out an art teacher? I says, teachers paint just like they teach, just like they paint. So if you don't like what they're painting, you're not going to like what they're teaching. So really kind of look at what they're doing, mm, you know. Okay. And then if, yeah. if you want, want to get on, you know, if you like the palette of colors, you like your painting close to the canvas and all that kind of stuff, it really, um, you you get more out of it. Oh, that's interesting. You mentioned, uh, in, in, you know, you and I obviously communicated a little bit before about this, um, you know, and about the old masters, their technique of layering paint. And I assume what you're referring to is some, you know, when I've been to some art museums, um, you can almost see the thickness of the paint on various uh, parts of the composition that they've they've done, right? Um, and, and it actually, when you see that and are able to get up close to it, 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 it really adds to the kind of depth and feeling of the painting when you see the different, you know, like it's laid on thick here, thinner here, that type of thing. Is that the type of thing you're referring to when you're talking about layering, layering paint? Um, kind of, but it's more like you paint really close to the canvas and then you kind of put, you keep putting glazes of color on it. So okay. it's still relatively close. Like French Impressionism, it deals more with brush strokes, you know, and the quickness yep. of the stroke. And so, you know, each, there's, there's so many fields in art that, and, and I, I do a lot of contemporary work as well, mm-hmm. but um, you just kind of have to stick to what, you can't really mix too many styles together. You can if you're really good. Um, I used to teach this kid that he kept painting everything. I said, you can cut your painting down the middle and get, you couldn't tell which side belonged to which side. He says, well, I like breaking the rules. I said, you're not good okay. enough to break the rules. You know? <laughs> We're like clowns. We're like clowns. You have to know the sport better than, than anybody else, you know, yep. to be able to break rules. So so you have to kind of stay in your wheelhouse and where you're going. Like with these um, old these paintings of these um, jockeys, I wanted it to look like it came out of somebody's attic. Mm. And that's actually how they were kind of found. These jockeys is um, Shirley May um, there in Kentucky uh, was the one who found in the archives of the um, Kentucky Derby Museum a lot of these these pictures of these guys mm-hmm. in the history. And so she had Whoopi Goldberg come on with her to help her kind of get these people known and get them out there. And so I wanted the paintings to kind of reflect that really old age mm. of... Um, that they that they could have you know been tucked away in somebody's attic, not a fresh representation of them. No, and and actually that's interesting you say that because um, when you look at the the uh, the paintings, they do have that kind of sense. There's almost like a a sepia tone quality to them, right? That they have been you know laying with a with a with a you know a sheet over them for about thirty or forty years, right? Um, right, and because paint kind of has a tendency to yellow mm-hmm. over over the years, okay, especially when they're, um, the linseed oils and things that they used to use used to kind of yellow down, like the Sistine Chapel and stuff. They would get all the right, smoke right. Yeah. and everything. And when they clean them, the co- colors are bright underneath. Mm. And so I, I wanted to kind of keep that that feeling that, um, in fact, a lot of people haven't thought I've been alive. They've got the kind of question. <laughs> <laughs> 
because the paintings look so old. They go, no, are you sure you're the one who did these? You know? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> How do I prove this? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I said, now you're starting to sound like my granddaughter. <laughs> so one of the things I find interesting about, <clears throat> though, you know, when, you, when you're painting old older people from history is... Um, you know, you have to capture something elemental about them for it to kind of resonate on the on the canvas, right? So, and people like Jimmy Wingfield or Isaac Murphy, of course, they've been dead a number of years. So, you must have had to do some research about them and try and. I would imagine you're almost kind of drawing a picture in your head of what you know, kind of expression or stance or whatever they might might have in your in your paintings. Is that is that fair? Yes, because. When, like I said, I'm from California, so when I came out here, I knew nothing of um, Southern history, culture, mm-hmm. I knew nothing of Black history, and I knew nothing of the derbies and racing. I, I just knew none of that. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I we started on this project, um, I couldn't find any images. When they said they were forgotten, they truly were forgotten. Nowadays, you can pull up a lot of images. But when I started with ten years over ten years ago with Path, you could not find any images mm, at all. Wow! So when I did find somebody, um, I thought they were—I'd have to read their story because then I got interested. And I hate reading, but I was reading their stories, and they were really interesting because these were young kids, you yeah. know, like eleven. Yeah. Some of them were slaves. Yeah. And um, in painting a lot of these guys, I see a lot of white features in them as well so you kind of wonder about you oh, know interesting. their position yeah, you know yeah 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 and so it, it kind of i started really kind of get like the soup kitchen you know he was apparently a pretty quiet but kind of mischievous uh, mm-hmm. character you know if you look through the photos you can see he's, he's mischievous and uh they'd say well what do you what do you want to eat he said soup so that's why he got me soup. Okay. <laughs> so it tried to get that mischievous look in his eyes. And they said Wingfield was like, um, he was a scrapper. He was a fighter. And so in all of his poses, he has that look like he could take anybody on. Mm, and mm. so I tried, tried those types of personalities, and their, their, um, their stance and, and how, how you would think if you were their family member looking at them, say, yeah, that's him. You know. Yeah, yeah. You, and you actually, um, in one of your other works, captured uh, a historic meeting between Jimmy Wheatfield and Jean Cruget, right? Um, triple crown winning jockey and historic yes. black jockey. That must have been pretty. And, and had you met Jean Cruget when you d- did that? Or, or did you just hear about this meeting? Like, how did, how did that one come about? Uh, no, it was, um, we had done a race for greatness up at the Simmons College there at the. Um, Kentucky Derby Museum, mm-hmm. yep. and I didn't go to that one, but all the paintings were up there. And Jean Fouguet, um talked to Leon and them, and I have always said, I feel art, uh, jockeys are like artists. Everybody remembers the horse, but not the jockey. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers the painting, but they never remember the name of huh. the artist. Huh. But, you know, you, yeah. you could select certain paintings, and, and people will recognize it, you know, mm-hmm. but they don't know who the artist is who painted it. So, uh, he said to um, Leon, he said, I really appreciate the fact that you guys are remembered the, the jockeys because the jockeys aren't remembered. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. said, so I, um, uh, he said, and he talked about how he had met Wingfield. And so then the next year when I went up there, they came to the event. And so it was really nice to meet them. And then 
um, I think it was the next day we went out and had coffee. And they're, you know, hearing all the stories about the jockeys and the non-recognition. And so I thought, well, I'll paint all the, the, the Triple Crown winners as well because, you know, you can name, most people can name the horses. Well, that's a good point. But they remember the jockey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I thought that painting made a nice, because that, that was an image of Wingfield with that horse. Mm-hmm. And so then I just tried put um, John in there yeah. as if he wasn't, because you know, he wasn't a little kid. He wasn't, a, he was um, a young adult. It was over in France. And so I thought that was just a nice, because this, this is something that, you know, artists hand down their skills mm-hmm. and jockeys do the same thing. You know, they watch each other, they learn from each other. That is true. And, That's a very good point. But they, they switch from horse to horse. So because like Lance is a contract riders. So you don't associate them with any particular thing. Yeah. No, and, you know, um, I want to go back to to one other uh, work that you did. Don't go back, but talk about one other work that you did, too, that I read up about. You know, we talked about these individuals. Let me try that word again. Individuals not being remembered um, and, you know, the kind of back history and backstories that they have. Um, Leon and Calvin first pointed out to me the story about Billy Walker and how his grave was found next to a school in Louisville and nobody knew where it was uh, at the time. He had been kind of forgotten to history, but he was the winner of the first Kentucky Derby. He, to your point earlier, um, he grew up as a slave in Woodford County, Kentucky. His fame, though, was such that he ended up being a consultant to John Madden in Hamburg Place, which is, you know, storied in horse racing history and was part of the breeding of Sir Barton uh, and John Madden's grandson, I believe it was, uh, Preston Madden, was responsible for uh, breeding horses like Ali Sheba. So, you know, you talk about history there. There's an individual who has figured throughout the history of our sport, um, came from obviously very modest backgrounds, um, then was forgotten. But you were actually commissioned by Churchill Downs to make a painting of Billy Walker, correct? Yeah, that was the, that to me was really exciting. In fact, he was the one who said to me, he kept asking, is this, is this Audrey I'm talking to? <laughs> I said, yeah, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, maybe he wants to talk to an agent or something. I said, no, I, I, I painted it. And he says, your paintings just look so old, I thought you were, I said, dead? And he says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, no. <laughs> and so they wanted, um, for their uh, addition, um, that they were putting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted the picture of painting of Billy Walker so that to give him tribute for all he had done. Mm, yeah. And then, so I was able, it was 24 by 36. It was a nice size painting. And then oh my they gosh, did yeah. a gold letter mm. on the wall, a little bit of story about him. But uh, John Asher, before he died, he was saying that um, he was better than any computer. He could look. You can look at a horse, tell where that horse came from, the bloodlines, and who to put that horse with. And he says, you know, that we all have to do with computers today. That just, I, mean, he really, I don't mm. think he could read and write, but he just oh did my. that all out of his head. That's how much knowledge. And I wow. guess that's why Pap has wanted to really promote these, um, the memory of these guys, because they really were the foundation of horse racing. Yes, yeah. You know, of, yeah. uh, uh, you know, 15 years old, and like yeah. I said, I have 
raised three boys. The thought of putting an 11, 12-year-old boy <laughs> yeah, on yeah. a horse in a pack of horses, no safety gear, and say, have at it. You know, I mean, I'd be horrified. But And they did have a lot of injuries. And, um, but they also, I think, really started the whole promotion of jockeys teaching jockeys. Mm-hmm. And the commodity. Well, never mind. I struggle with that. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we got it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, um, when you look at the group pictures of the different guys together, they all have their arms on each other. They're all laughing or they all have Mm. the jockey stance of, you know, the arms crossed. And so there were quite um, a foundation of men and young boys that really started this. And they really needed to have their memory and what they did, especially when everybody else does after them. Right. It wasn't like a one-turn event. Right. They, they were just the first up. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, you mentioned a name in there too, John Asher. You got to spend some time with John, who unfortunately you know, passed away. Not too long ago, but he was someone who was just universally beloved by everyone who who met him. And, and you were actually able to capture him and I think his spirit very well in painting as well, right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we wanted, um, he had um, died after, right after the, the Derby events, I think. And so uh, we were going to go back and do the Race to Greatness with the Derby. And mm. I thought that would be kind of a nice piece to be able to give of him being happy because that's all what I read about him Everybody, and all yeah. just smiling and he was a pleasant man and I heard him speak but I I, I never met him okay and then okay. I wanted he was so part of the derby that I wanted like that palette knife of all the colors and and the richness of that was that was him he was they called him Mr. you know yeah Mr. Derby. yeah so, yeah, yeah. You know, no, that's really interesting. You mentioned that about all the colors and and everything, because obviously you know, the Derby is full of colors and silks and and all of that, and how that kind of influences the composition. That that's that's really an artist's mind talking there. You know, taking the personality and then how to project that in, on the canvas. That's that's really pretty fascinating. Yeah, and I was really I was really pleased because, like I said, I've never met him just from what I've read and, and looked at pictures and. A little bit heard him talk, and and uh, but his wife came up afterward, and and, uh, brother, and his brother and said that I had was able to capture who oh he really was. Oh my! And they said they loved all the color and they loved the happiness of it. And uh, I, that's what I just wanted to leave behind for him was a memory of just not just a photograph, yeah. but a memory of who he was. Look, I think like a lot of people, I'm sure you are proud of all your accomplishments, but I, I got to believe that hearing something like that, knowing that you touched people who were that close to somebody like that, that has to feel pretty special. It is. And art is kind of, uh, see, I, I grew up with the theory, even though my folks were photographers and, and, and sister and stuff, but if you want things to be realistic, because I tried to paint them too realistic, mm-hmm. and and then it was like, well, if you want it that realistic, go get, um, go get a photograph, you know? <laughs> right, right, and, right, right. And I learned, yeah. and I learned with painting a long time ago, don't make it too realistic, because I had done a portrait of this girl, which was really a nice portrait, but she looked at it, she says, my chin's too long. <laughs> and I looked at that, yeah, it is too long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> her chin is long. 
And for real, goes, no, for no, real, it's too long. long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and after that, I thought, no, no, I have to make this work better. So then I was doing another portrait, and, and the way she was standing, her arm was kind of thick, so I kind of buffed her down. She goes, okay. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I look buff now. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so, you do have to take some liberties. <laughs> uh, so, no, Audrey, Not everybody likes fruit. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> so, Audrey, I was looking at some of your, your other works, and you know, we talked about John Asher and the way you captured him. I was really struck by the painting you did of um, James Long, who was a jockey, um, did a lot of work with the Project to Preserve African American Turf History, and I, I wish I could show the painting here on the podcast because there's just a uh, joy that radiates out of that painting. Um, and I have to believe he was probably that type of person in, in person as well, because it really, it almost kind of jumps off the page, his kind of joy and, and, and zest for life. Yeah, I, I met him a number of times. Okay. And uh, when the first half presentation, I was with several other artists, and one was a sculptor and one was um, an artist. Mm-hmm. And so we had a variety of things there. And... <laughs> And James was there, and he was just this little happy guy, but he was critiquing, yep, you, you did that one right, yep, that's fine over there, look at, and the, and the um, other artist that, that did the sculpture, yep, you have the, the, the hands right with the reins, that's good, that's good, they always miss that point, and he was just this little commando guy, I mean, he just commanded attention and commanded, you know, just the space, but I think one of the, the best things I had with him is with, um, we were doing the um, Isaac Murphy Awards, mm-hmm. and we had gone to the Derby, and that was always my, on my son's bucket list. So I left him at, at the Derby, <laughs> and I went to do the show. And uh, so when the last race was on, we all went to a TV, and to, to hear somebody who rode horses and somebody who trained and raised horses, uh, to hear them talking, they knew from the get-go who was, who was doing what right and wrong and who had a chance of winning and who didn't. And the race barely got started. They were just out the game. And I thought, man, you know, I can look at art and I can see what a person does. Yeah. You know, and they they can look at those horses and see everything about them. And mm-hmm. that gave me more insight in painting these jockeys as well, too, is that oh. their insight in working with horses, even at, at that tender age, 11, 12, they must have had instincts that really knew how, because uh, they had somebody on CNN that had asked after one of the races that a jockey fell off of, and he says, those horses love to run anyway. They really don't. It doesn't matter if they have a jockey or not. And the jockey got really mad, and he says, no, they need us to know how to race, mm. you know? Yep. They need to, for us to lead them to victory. They've just, they're, they're herd animals. They're going to run. Yes, that's right. But they need us to slow them down, speed them up, and, and take care of it. And, and he was he was pretty offended by it, which I thought was really an interesting thought again, how much pride that these jockeys take in what they're doing. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I had a, a conversation uh, two seasons ago with John Velasquez, the famous jockey, and we were at the time we were talking about the controversy over the use of the the crop or what some people refer to as the whip in racing. And at the time, California was considering banning the use of the crop uh, to strike the horse, you know, or to alert the horse and make changes. And you know, John was saying that 
look, if, if we ride without the crop, you're not going to like the racing that you see. Um, and he said, he said, I use the crop as a, to your point about they don't win without us. I use the crop as a corrective action. You know, I need you to do this now, or, you know, it's time to do that. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it, it is really interesting. I mean, because horses are herd animals. If you ever see a race where a jockey is, is dropped off the horse and the horse still runs around the track, that horse will never pass the first horse in the pack. They will run with all the other ones in the pack, but they'll never go by them. So uh, it's it's a really good point about the, you know the jockey, and and then you actually what you're saying is you got to translate that into your art as well. Yeah, so I take I listen to all of that because with art you have a passion about where you want to go with it. You know, I mean you have you have the control to say I I want this to be a little darker. I want this to be a little happier. I want this to be you know, you have the ability to make the direction because you have the paintbrush. And with learning about jockeys having that same skill set, you know, my, like I said, music ran in my family. My husband used to play guitar. And he can listen to music and tell you all the different instruments. I just hear a song. You know, mm-hmm. but he hears all yeah. the different breakdowns. Yeah. And so yeah. whatever you're involved in, it, you really hear it and, and you really see it. And then you really try to translate that into making you better. Michelangelo, when he died when he was like 80, and he said, I wish I would have never learned to paint. I just started getting good at it, and now I'm dying, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I was just telling somebody this story recently, and I don't know how much you're into, you know, modern music or rock and roll, but... um I think it was three years ago, um, the Allman Brothers Band, they used to play a 10 or 15 night stand at the Beacon Theater in New York every late winter. And and I went <clears throat> probably three or four years ago now. Um, and one of their guitarists, Derek Trucks, is pretty universally regarded as one of the premier guitarists in the, in the world. Okay. Um, and in these shows they did at the Beacon Theater, they would always have guests come on and play with them. So they had a guitarist guest who was playing, and they were letting him kind of solo. And I looked over at Derek Trucks, who, again, like I said, universally regarded as one of the greatest of his generation on the guitar. And he's intently watching this guy playing the guitar. And I thought to myself, he's trying to see if he can pick anything else up from this guy. You know, the, maybe there's something he doesn't know. Uh, and I, I was really, that, that, that image has stuck with me for a long time. Like, you never really, like Michelangelo said, you never really stop learning, right? I mean, that's, that's really what the lesson is at the end right. of the day. Yeah. Well, and, and if you take the attitude that you've learned it all, then you don't grow. Right, you know, if that's right. part of the growth. And my uh, sisters used to play the piano, and the teacher would come in, and she'd always say, because half half the family played by ear and the other half played by notes. Okay. And one sister was playing by ear and the other loved the notes. And she tells well, one sister, she says, "Don't play by ear, because you will you'll never get past anything. You learn the notes and you you can play anything." Oh wow! She goes, "So you learn you learn the notes because you will get restricted if you don't." And um, and I always thought that was, and I always kind of applied that to art too. Yeah. You have to learn, you have to learn the skill set. You just can't get out there and, you know, nobody can like get out and just get on a horse and say, well, I can ride a horse and get to those races. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much technique that goes, that I have learned. Like I say, I never knew horse racing, but that I could see by listening to them, there's so much technique that goes on. And that's why they should really be, um, 
because in all the other sports, you're recognized. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. everybody knows all the names of all the players and and everything. But in the world of horse racing, it doesn't seem to be the same. It seems it's, it's all on the horse. But the horse would win if it didn't have a good jockey to be on the horse. Jockey's so, jockey's going to make the right right decisions at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Arjun, let's go back. Let's go back to talking about the old masters. Who are your favorite old masters, and 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 why? Well, I liked um, Michelangelo and Da Vinci, and um, all. I liked the, all of those, Raphael, all of them. And then when they started transitioning into um, um, doing impressionism, I liked a lot of the impressionism as well because it took on. Um, it wasn't so stiff mm-hmm. because some of those old masters were pretty stiff in how they painted. Michelangelo, I don't think, was as stiff as some of them. But when they got tired of painting in studio because they couldn't couldn't see, and some of them were starting to lose their eyesight, so they'd go wow. outside and they'd try to catch the light as they were painting. So they'd set up a ton of canvases, and as that light ran, you know, like on the pond mm. for uh, Monet, yeah. then he would just paint the, paint the light. And then that's why it was always such quick strokes. But so, you know, and I liked Van Gogh and um, what I didn't like all of his work, but because he had a mental health issue and I could see when he was having a mental health issue. But his use of color, you know, they all had beautiful aspects to what they did. And to see that transition go from um, the old masters to the more impressionist. Mm-hmm. And they weren't accepted in their time for that. It, it that to me, I've always found really interesting. Kind of that transition period. Yeah, that's an interesting point about them. Uh, you know, really breaking the rules back then um, and not being uh, as accepted or revered, I guess, as they are now. So, but that leads me to a question I had. Oh, Van Gogh never sold a painting. <laughs> Van Gogh, well, oh he was Oh my gosh, alive, really? Seriously? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. I was gonna say they couldn't even get into um, into museums or um, you know art events yep. because they just they were so looked down upon at that time. Now look at them; they're they've rivaled everybody. Right, there. right. Wow, I did not know that about Van Gogh. That's fascinating. Um, but that does lead me to a question that I hadn't even anticipated asking you about. Uh, modern art, and that is, you know, you see sometimes you walk in these museums now, and there's uh, six different angles of triangles painted in different colors, and that's one piece, and then the next piece is, <laughs> you know, all red on a canvas and nothing else. Uh, I, I, I love art. I love touring museums, but I'll be honest with you, when I see that stuff, I, I think to myself, God bless anybody that could sell that because. I don't even know what it's supposed to be. You know, um, is it supposed to? I've worked with a lot of designers over the years, mm-hmm. and um, it's always that um, cross between uh, do you go for the art or do you go for the furniture? And so, because you can't, it doesn't, mm. you know, because they will compete, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, interesting. Uh, so, with when you have a lot of just loose, um, contemporary, uh, kind of more design, color flow, you know, splash art type, things it it's easy with the furniture because then your furniture stands out better right they right, don't. right. Yeah, yeah, like with yeah. these jockeys they don't they wouldn't go with any anything unless you just did a museum of they would the paint the furniture would have to go around the paintings like my son has um oh we had both my husband 
dad died and my dad was dying. And so mm-hmm. I thought, I need to leave something to this one son. And, oh, he's really hung up with the Kentucky Derby. So he moved, he actually, I say he bought a room in the house that came with the house. And the wife got the house and he got the room. And he wants, this was his room. Nobody could say anything about it. And he had me painting the, the Triple Crown winners of the horses mm. and, and his other favorites. And, and so everything to him, the art is the room. And he had bought some very good furniture okay. to go yeah. with it. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of um, the art and furniture has always been like the choice, the choices you have to make. Oh, that's fascinating. So that it, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they don't compete. Right, So if you right. see a lot of really contemporary, it, it, you know, it's like you saw something really, a lot of white furniture, contemporary. Well, my art of like these, these forgotten jockeys wouldn't go in there. It would be like, I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, you know? no, I, I can Are actually see the clash as you're mentioning that. Yeah, it would be jarring, right? It would really be kind of jarring. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the softer art uh, and art, what we call it, the over-the-sofa art, you know, <laughs> and you, 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 you just kind of, you know, and then there's the beach art where, and the one thing I think is interesting between um, in art and in painting people, white people generally don't like to have paintings of people's faces. They like the beach scenes, the colorful beach scenes. Oh, wow. But if you look at it, there's, there's not really faces. Hmm. And... Um, and then grew up in Southern California, and the Mexican culture liked more of the scenery type painting. Okay, you know. Okay, yeah. And because uh, my mom lives, my mom lives in Palm Springs, and every everything is painted desert. You know. Sure. Desert. Yeah. 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 Classic. Yeah. Desert. Yep. Yeah. And then with black people that I learned because I started working with a black designer selling to a lot of high end clients is they they like people. They want to see the people's faces. They want to look in the eyes. Oh, my. They more yeah. celebrate people. Yeah. And um, I did uh, this, a couple of really, uh, did an art show in Atlanta, and um, it was uh, primarily, well, it, all the other artists were black. and <laughs> I kind of come in as this misfit, you know? <laughs> and everyone's going, who are you? you know? <laughs> so, but uh, I painted these... Um, Really strong, powerful women. There was a lot of texture, and it was a lot of mixed media. Mm-hmm. And had and because mostly it's male black artists, and they put an ethnic spin on. Okay. You know. Okay. Uh, yeah. People. And so, uh, but I didn't do that because I don't know ethnic spin. And so I had these women come up to me, and they go, "Why did you paint these black women so beautiful?" And I says, "Because they are." And uh, they go, yeah, but and I said, I'll tell you, I like painting black women because you can paint them really strong and powerful, and every everybody loves it because they show strength, they show all this. Now, if I to paint a white woman looking like that, everybody think it was like on Dynasty, you know. It's <laughs> kind of bitchy, you know, and they wouldn't really want to go through that. So, <laughs> wow, wow! It, it all, yeah, a lot of it has to do with culture. No, that's some fascinating stuff and, and observations. Um, so, Audrey, what are some of the new projects that you're working on? Well, I'm working on. Um, we're going to be showing uh, Jim to teach his, I think, his university. We're going to be a show doing up there. 
um, for Black History Month. So we're okay. taking a bunch of the paintings up there for that show. And then uh, Pat also has something, I think, in Lexington. And so I'm doing a big Isaac Murphy painting oh, right wow. now. Oh, wow. And That's I'm gonna, great. I'm doing another one of those foundations. Because I had this idea, you know, you're looking through albums. I'm like, say, some photography in my family. We have 10,000 albums. And you look through it all, and you really don't connect up people with other people. And so I got this brilliant idea that I would put all these, the winners of these black jockeys from 1875 to 1902, I would put them together in a group. And I've already done one like that, but I'm doing another one. Okay. And that, you know, like Grandma used to write your name on the front of the picture, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. This is Audrey, this is David, this is Debbie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so so I'm writing their names on there to kind of give them that sense of these guys were a unit. They weren't all just mm. total individuals that some of them knew each other and uh, went off to have different careers and everything like that. So that's kind of one of the things I'm working on right now for the new project. Oh, that's terrific. Well, you know, look... Uh, Audrey, our our podcast here, we we really try and emphasize the history of our sport and and the backstories and personalities of people involved in the sport. And and I got to say, you do a terrific job of connecting the history and 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 reaching back into history and expressing that because I think understanding the history of our sport is is really important for its future. You know, candidly, and uh, I, I think you know, like I said, with your picture of James Long, it really helps capture the personalities and the and, and the joy of, of, of some of these people that are involved in our sport. So you're doing a terrific service as far as I'm concerned. And I know, obviously, Leon and Calvin feel the same way. Um, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I thank you very much for making time for me, and I'm really looking forward to getting this out there. Well, I appreciate it, too, and I thank you very much on behalf of Pat and myself, you know, to get recognition for what we're trying to do because we do just want to make the memories of these men come alive and that was kind of why I came on with them is they needed a storyteller. They needed somebody to be able to look at it and then be able to tell the story about them because I do like some tactile art too for the blind and a lot of times because they they don't can't put everything all together deaf and blind. Mm -hmm. So when you do a, a tactile board they can actually feel and see how things correlate with one another. Oh, my, sure, and yeah. I, mm. and, yeah. And so that's what, with these jockeys, the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, this is not just something of history, that these were real people that really had a huge, gigantic influence on the sport. And maybe it will help bring recognition to more jockeys as well. That would be great. As I said, I learned a lot about the artistic process and how an artist views life. Should you find yourself at Churchill Downs anytime soon, I encourage you to stop by to see Audrey's painting of Billy Walker. Check out ppaath.org to see some of her work also. Finally, you can Google Audrey's name and find any number of additional places and venues where you can see more of her work. Join us next week when we talk with Jim Mazur from Progressive Handicapping. In the meantime, may the horse be with you.